This week on The Sport Blokes. On this week's show, the NBA restart is locked in. The IPL final set with the Indians and Capitals squaring off backwards knees. And week two of our six-week breakdown of the AFL and NBA seasons. There's a lot to be excited about. Let's get cracking. Stewie, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, what caught my attention was a bit of a random one, actually. I am a massive fan of Google Maps. I absolutely love checking out street views of places I've never been before so I can see what a place looks like. It definitely stems from my time in the travel industry and it's something that I've kind of always done. Yeah, you're always a good man to have for those geography questions at a quiz night. <laughs> well, not, I'm not too bad. Yeah, pretty bloody good. But look, I've seen some pretty random stuff over the years, including the time I was scrolling through a city in Bulgaria and came across a street vendor named Pizza Hit. Ooh. It, it was the exact same font as Pizza Hut. It had the yellow underline <laughs> and the green dot over the eye in pizza. But anyway, this week I was having a look through Jeddah in Saudi Arabia for reasons we'll get to in just a minute. And it's not mapped too thoroughly. So rather than having a lot of the lines everywhere, there's just a few dots where people have taken photos and uploaded them. And when I clicked on one, it took me to one of the rooms in the Sofitel Hotel there and a massive red banner that read, Outstanding Payment Due. Mm. Which which just kind of caught me off guard. It's like, wow, what a... a Maybe they spend all their money at Pizza Hit. (laughs) This is true. Oh dear. Well, I think what made this even more odd though was I clicked on about seven or eight other ones and they all had that same banner. So it was like, do I owe money to Saudi Arabia? (laughs) Should I be? Also, one other thing I noticed this week was how I still hate seeing my teams lose, even on games that were played 10 years ago. I I can relate to that. I was watching stuff on YouTube and Ricky Rubio won a game for Minnesota at OKC and it annoyed me. Yeah. No, I, it's, I saw on Twitter the other day, one of the New Zealand breakers, I think it was Cedric Jackson, hitting a three-quarter court shot to beat us from like yeah. four or five years ago. And you're still praying that it misses. Yeah, it's, yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, it actually made me realise how many great Minnesota and OKC games they've been in recent years. Anyway, hmm. how about yourself? Well, of course, Shuey, my uh, eyes and ears were firmly focused on perhaps one of the biggest elections in world history. Yes, that's right. Myanmar's only second general election since the country <laughs> ended over 50 years of military rule. That is actually quite significant. Aung San Suu Kyi and her National League for Democracy Party won once again. But no, of course, the US election, uh, I must confess, I did listen to it on the drive home from work instead of the state of origin. Not a massive rugby fan, so I did, uh, you know, I've got to probably... Uh, Put my gun badge and sport bloke title and hand them in. It was a good try, Nathan. But uh, yeah, oh yeah, Mm, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's really interesting, the the election. And it just kind of like, there are connections to sport. So first things first, Donald Trump was actually on the golf course playing at one of his courses when the news was announced. And there's been some photos of him looking a bit teary-eyed and stuff. What what news? He hasn't lost yet. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. No, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but the Twitter world went crazy. So it was funny, like, I think it was on the Friday night, there was a tweet from ABC Grandstand's Brett Sprigg that uh, he made a joke about the follow-on. Uh, Peter Hellier said something about how it's kind of like watching test cricket because you're really worried that the minute you stop watching, a wicket will fall. And there's so much truth to that. I spent far too much time watching the, the coverage. The, the spreezy one was brilliant, yeah. But, <laughs> but it really... America only needs 67 to avoid... Four, yeah, that's one. right, yeah. Brilliant. Um, but But... The funny thing was, it kind of was like a test match because it took nearly five days yep. to get a result. 
Now, okay, and, and we there's there's the, some things to come still, and it but been, we have it a result. It could have been a draw at one stage as well. Well, yeah, 269 all was a potential, yeah, but uh, that's not how it went in the end. And then, of course, you know, as we mentioned with the Black Lives Matter stuff and vote for Millsap, and so the NBA really pushed the voting stuff. Uh, LeBron ha- uploaded a picture to Instagram of his famous block shot on Andre Iguodala, but he put Joe Biden's head on his head and he put Donald Trump's on Andre Iguodala's. I bet he, I bet he loved saying that. Uh, what else was there? Did you, any, did you see any funny tweets regarding oh, the election? there was tons. There was the, the uh, Kawhi Leonard shot against Philadelphia and you've got... You've got him. As oh, that Biden, was classic. And then Obama as one of the <laughs> one of the Raptors players on the bench in street clothes, leaning in. Um, that was probably the uh, one that, that really sort of stood out to me. Oh, I mean, there's so many. I've, I've lost count of how many. Well, I've lost track of half of them. So. And yeah, of course, it does intersect with sport, whether we like it or not, because part of the policies and I dare say inaction have led America to to where they are at the moment, where they had 120,000 cases in one day. And it's just spiking in the wrong direction. So so that's what caught my attention. Hmm. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I have to admit, I missed the state of origin as well. The Karatha trip I had on Monday and Tuesday absolutely destroyed me. If I was wearing a hat, I would well and truly tip it to the thousands of FIFO workers out there. You are all much stronger than I am, that's for sure. So <laughs> how about yourself? Well, yeah, state of origin. Yeah, yep. yeah. And I didn't see any of the women's BBL either. Yeah. When I wasn't out and about this weekend, it was all about the election, I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair enough. Yeah. So let's get stuck in the news round, Nath. We'll start off with the Melbourne Cup. Yes, indeed. The race that stops the nation. Now, it didn't stop my my day. I looked up at the clock and I was like, ah, 12.15. Already finished. But uh, look, I must confess, I'm not a big horse racing fan for reasons that I'm about to mention. But let's tip our hat to the winner first. So Twilight Payment won the Melbourne Cup on Tuesday. Unfortunately, though, Anthony Van Dyke... One of the favourites going into the race passed away after pulling up lame about 300 metres from the line, making it the seventh horse to die since 2013. So that is the very reason why I am not a big horse racing fan and don't really follow it. I'll echo that sentiment. I refuse to watch it, quite frankly, because of that. It's just not something I'm interested in. Yeah. Yeah, all of that for entertainment. That's, yeah, Mm. not good. You've got a ton of motor racing news, Chewie. Yeah, quite a bit, actually. So we'll start off with the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix at the Autodroma in Imola. You might remember that Chloe Diger, the American cyclist, ended up in hospital crashing out of a cycling race. In yes, indeed. In not year. so long ago, yeah. Well, zero dollars for guessing the first two places in this race. That's right. Lewis Hamilton first, Valtteri Bottas in second. Ah, yeah. Rinse and repeat. Surprise, surprise. Groundhog Day. Hamilton was nearly six seconds clear in first and nearly nine seconds more back to third place, which was Daniel Ricciardo, which is obviously great for him. The really interesting part about this, though, is that Mercedes boss Toto Wolff is out of contract and almost certainly out the door at the end of the season, but Hamilton's also out of contract. Yes. And there's a lot of conjecture that he might not stay either with Mercedes or in the sport altogether. Well, he himself hasn't committed to them. so Exactly. So, yeah. See, I look at it and say, well, he should be eyeing up 100 wins. That is a huge milestone. He's only seven short with four races left on the calendar year, with one in Istanbul, two in Sakhir in Bahrain, and one in Abu Dhabi. Is it a negotiating tactic, do you reckon? Get a bit more cash, threaten to leave? Not a bad one. Yeah. It's not a bad one. I I guarantee that there would be no end end of teams that would be throwing money at him. Exactly. He's he's absolutely brilliant. And he had a good little celebration. Yeah, he did a shoey with uh, with Ricardo, which I thought was absolutely priceless, considering he'd previously said, I would never do oh, that. Oh, it's That's bloody disgusting. disgusting. It is disgusting. And I think, I it's can't horrendous. remember what he said exactly, but he did not give it a great review, let's just say. <laughs> 
but while everyone was keeping an eye on Hamilton, Bottas and Ricardo, the lapped cars at the back of the pack were actually waved past the safety car to return to the back of the field, but several marshals were actually still on the track at the time. So you had Kimi Raikkonen, Antonio Giovinazzi, Nicholas Latifi, Romain Grosjean, Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll all past marshals on the track between yeah, 10 Yeah, I saw and some of that footage. They were a little too close for call at some stage. Ridiculous. Imagine if there was a fatality with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a miracle we've got through all this motorsport this year without anything. Yeah, no kidding. It's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Staying with Formula One, we've also had a really, really exciting announcement. The next city to host an event with Google Maps' own Jeddah in Saudi Arabia set mm, to host mm. 2021 and 2022 while they wait for the track in Qadir to be finished in 2023. Formula One and the Saudis have signed a 10-year, $900 million hosting deal. That is the richest of all time, as far as I'm aware, and it could even be extended beyond that. And then the last little bit to do with motorsports, how was the crash from Ryusi Yamanaka in Valencia over the weekend? For people who haven't seen it, he was traveling at 225 kilometers an hour. He's clipped the back wheel of a rider in front of him and basically done a front flip onto his head and then had the, the bike land on him as well. The fact that he's got up from that with little more than a few scratches, oh, it's nothing short of a miracle. It is. And MotoGP, honestly, this is just the, the gift that keeps on giving this year. I'd love to know, again, morbid, but I'd love to know the stats on the mortality rate dropping in that sport since technology's got better. Well, I mean, just some of the stuff we've spoken about this year, it's a miracle that no one's... Oh, it's, it's incredible. Mm. Speaking of incredible, not so incredible. Yes, we have an unfortunate doping scandal. Now, we like to make fun of others, but it's hit our swim team once again after the Shana Jack stuff. Incidentally, she said she went on SAS Australia to prove that she didn't do performance-enhancing drugs. I don't know how the hell going on that show proves that, but anyway... Brenton Ricard has tested positive for the diuretic ferrosamide, which is a banned masking agent. Now, he tested the sample he gave in 2012 before it came up positive. Now, this doesn't just affect him. It's quite a problem because it's something that you don't see as well. He was a part of the 4x100 meter medley relay team that took out the bronze in London. So the IOC is attempting to have him and the five other members of the relay team stripped of their medals. Ricard and Tommaso Dosonia didn't complete in the final, but were in the squad with Hayden Stockel, Matt Target, Christian Springer, who replaced Ricard, and James Magnuson, who replaced Dosonia. It would be a pretty cruel punishment, especially since they weren't even competing in the final themselves, they were just in the heats. But, rules are rules. What do you reckon? It's a tough one. I mean, he's, he's going to fight this in the court of arbitration, but yeah, as you said, rules are rules. Uh... It sucks, but unfortunately, I, I think they have to take the medals off. Yeah, if he's guilty, then he's guilty. Yep. We can't decry others and then, you know. Golf? Yeah, just a quick one in golf. COVID pals Adam Scott and Dustin Johnson join Jason Day in returning to the course at the Houston Open in the lead-up to the Masters next week. Don't really have too much on the tournament because I think it has just finished, but I didn't get a chance to have a look at the leaderboard. But one of the little things that, that kind of caught my eye was that Jason Day actually managed to drive one of his tee shots into the back of an official's cart but the official didn't actually notice it and started driving off towards the hole. Well, that's a good place to drive as far as Jason Day is concerned. As long as the official drives onto the green. And it falls off in the right spot. And happens to roll. (laughs) (laughs) But what I'm actually interested in is your thoughts, because they allowed 2,500 fans into the event in a country that's riddled with coronavirus. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the studies are that open air, it's not as bad. So obviously golf's in open air. I don't know how distant they were. I haven't seen the footage. I don't know if they're all bunched up together like golf crowds traditionally often are. I don't think they were, but still. So in that case, I'm I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, bloody hell, let's face it. A lot of people were out in the streets either celebrating or protesting, and they still are. 
So that's much more of a risk than, than a couple of thousand people at the golf. True, true. Yeah. America's just handling it very differently to us. Speaking of handling COVID shit... Yeah, well... Uh, Justin Turner. Yeah, they really are handling it different. So we mentioned uh, the other week that Justin Turner had not only gone on the field to celebrate and took his mask off in photos and all sorts of thing after winning the World Series, but he's not copying a punishment. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And, and particularly, I think, because... Now, he tested positive, as we mentioned last week, which is the main thing. I think it's particularly ridiculous because they told him specifically, you cannot go back on the field. And both him and the Dodgers said, no, I'm going back on the field. And again, he was a representative who had negotiated on behalf of his team the circumstances for the coronavirus rules. It's, it's yeah. The moral of this story is, it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. Justin Turner, he's rounded the Turner. <laughs> Sorry. For those that don't understand, Donnie keeps saying rounding the turn. Coronavirus is rounding the turn. This time it rounded the turn. So huge news in the cricket world, Stewie, and it's just dropped fairly recently. Yeah, Marlon Samuels has retired. (laughs) That's what we're going for, yeah? Yeah, that's what I was setting up. (laughs) Now, after the vile social media post last week about Ben Stokes, Marlon Samuels has done everyone a favour and retired from all forms of cricket. Mm. Hopefully he'll go bury himself under a rock somewhere (laughs) in the West Indies. Well, Stewie, I guess he just wants to focus on his cologne brand Sextillion. Oh, wow. I thought it might have been like, oh, dear, I'll turn your wife into Jamaican in 14, <laughs> 14 seconds. <laughs> Which, we didn't really dwell on it last week. 14 seconds is not a great amount of time. Yeah, no, it? that's a fair point. He's really selling himself quite short. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Mm. Mm. Oh, dear. Mm. Do you reckon he's would be battling on the shelf for position with Shane Warne's cologne? Well, the great thing about Sextillion is it comes with a mini bat. So oh, when God. Warney's cologne uh, pisses it off, it just throws a bat at him. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be like tugging on Warney's jersey? <laughs> Oh dear, dear mate. Let's move on to the Sheffield Shield. Yeah, well, so crazy times in the Sheffield Shield. They're playing on roads. Can I just say, Will Pekowski, holy shit. Holy shit indeed. Yeah, so I've got some crazy stats here, Stewie. So Pekowski's the first player to have back-to-back double tons in the Shield since 1997-98. Dean Hills? Yeah, can't say I recognise the name. Yeah, me neither actually. I think it was for Tassie, but apparently he's in the coaching staff now with Langer. But anyway, he was out for 202. It was the first dismissal this season against WA on those roads over there in South Australia. He was previously unbeaten for 733 balls and an average of 457. I mean, yeah, he shouldn't be in the test side. No (laughs) way. Nah. Yeah, he's already the top scorer in the comp as well, and he's only had two innings. He's also got three double tons in 21 matches, and he was the fastest in Sheffield Shield history to have four scores of 180 or more in just 27 innings. So, yeah, he absolutely gives these selectors a nightmare decision. So I'll race through the results that finished last Monday, which is our normal recording night, but we recorded a couple of days earlier, so we didn't have that at that stage. We'll start with that uh, nail-biting game. So Queensland initially... Had a first inning score of 298. Not bad. Labashane had 117. Pearson had a 66. Mitch Stark had four for 76 for New South Wales. And then a couple of other blokes with twofers. New South Wales then had a reply of 283. A lot of starts. A lot of starts. Sean Abbott, 66, the best there. Mitch Swepson had a great outing. Five for 97. Everyone else picked up a wicket. 
and Stickity had two. Queensland then had 190 in response. Not a lot of scores there. A five for Trent Copeland. Five for 17. Very nice. And then in reply, New South Wales 206 for nine. So they just got over the line there. Yeah, no, no, no thanks to Nathan Lyon, who had a calamitous run out. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I saw that on the live summaries when I was at work. Actually. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> and Mitch Swepson had another five for, so 10 for the match. Yeah, he's really vaulted into the conversation as far as the, the test spinner now. I mean, he's turned himself into an amazing fourth innings bowler. He, he actually became the first Queensland spin bowler to claim a 10-wicket haul in the Sheffield Shield in 42 years. Ironically, wow. the last Queensland tweaker to do it was Trevor Hones. Wow. He was a national selector. Yeah, yeah. He was actually watching on from the boundary. So, okay. So, yeah, he actually only had 14 wickets in the 2019-2020 season in six matches, and he's actually already got 15 in the first two. The most impressive thing about this for me is that they've been playing on such roads, there's so many high scores, and he's picking up a lot of wickets. It's yeah. a great sign. Yeah, look, I I definitely think he's one that they've got to consider. Any any sort of turning wicket, he should be an absolute walk-up start to anything at the Gabba. And I think you could probably consider SCG. him for the SCG as well, yeah. because that does tend to spin quite a bit. Gee, it's hard to see him supplanting Nathan Lyon, though. Do you go with two spinners? Depending on, on where you're yeah. going, you could look at him for the subcontinent as well. The old spin twins? Yep. So we'll, we'll, we'll think about the team in a sec. In the first of our two drawn matches, WA had a 302 in the first innings. Sean Marsh with a 115 there. Inglis with a 51. Gannon with a 58. Jackson Bird had a 3 for 47. Uh, Ellis had a 4 for 76. Tassie in response, a lot of starts. 432 with no Centurions. Although Ben McDermott had a 90. Matty Wade had an 83. Morris, the pick of the bowlers for WA, 5 for 94. And then we batted really well. So Bancroft 104, Whiteman 118, Marsh 88. So that's a bloody good start. We declared at 436. Ellis had a two-fa for Tassie, so they didn't have a lot of love there. And then it fizzled out into a draw. Tassie, two for 117. Matty Wade had a 57 there too. Yeah, it looked like they were maybe going to try and take it on on the fourth day, but they just kind of got away from him pretty quickly. So probably a smart decision to take the draw and take the first innings points. And then in the other draw, South Australia and Victoria. South Australia in their first innings made 200 even. Hunt with a 50 there. Uh, good spread of bowlers for the Victorians. Will Sutherland had three for 26, being the pick of the bowlers. Three other blokes had twofers. And then, okay, massive scores. And here's where it begins. Will Pukowski, 255, not out. Harris, 239. Now, we began to talk about that a little bit last week before the match was over. They declared at 564, three wickets down. Oh, I don't even need to read you the bowling figures there. They look woeful. We had three no, blokes. None for shitloads. Well, three blokes uh, conceded over 100 runs. And then Chad Sayers had 89. And Travis Head conceded 53 off 10 overs. Oof. So, yeah, not good look. <laughs> Not good look there for the South Australian bowlers. But they batted pretty well. 384. Hunt had an 80. Travis Head had a 151. And there we go. The rest is history. Now, I know we, we tend to kind of look at them in detail after the fact. But they all these things keep happening during the matches that we feel like we can't avoid. So, starting with Victoria and WA. Victoria exploded, as we mentioned. Will Pukowski had another double ton. They declared at 4 for 414. So, that quickly 10 times. I'm not even going to go through the bowlers again. <laughs> not that great. But in reply, WA, 4 for 198. So first innings points, maybe okay. Cam Green had a 56. He's already out. But Sean Marsh, 104, not out. This was one of those ones where I looked at it and I was like, what the fuck is Sean Marsh doing bowling 
first on. I know the it's the second match in a row we've won the toss and gone in sent them into bat. But from all accounts, it looked like there was a pretty decent green top to this thing, and and it may actually move around a little bit, but. It's just the, the top order of Victoria just batted so well through it. And then once the ball kind of softened up, it was just money. And we're batting money last now. So, yep. yeah, that'll be interesting. This one's gone, unfortunately. Yep. And then in the other matches, New South Wales made a paltry 64. Their third lowest total ever, I believe. Mitch Stark, their top scorer with 18. Now, here are some bowling figures we will look at. Jackson Bird, 4 for 14. Siddle, 3 for 17. Bell 2 for 20. And Meredith, 1 for 13. So they only bowled 30.3 overs. In response, Tassie got 239. Silk had a 106. Sean Abbott, the pick of the bowlers, 4 for 33. But New South Wales looking much better in the second innings. 2 for 215. Larkin on 103, not out. On Rex, 75, not out. Probably heading to a draw. Probably. It's been a lot of that. And then finally, Queensland and South Australia. Queensland this time with a huge total. They made 496, they declared, at 5 for. Kawaja had a 131. Renshaw had a 168, not out, batting at 5. Pearson had a 109. Again, not much to say for the bowlers. Lloyd Pope won for 169 off 25. Ouch. 6.7 economy rate. That's horrible. That is horrible. South Australia managed 9 for 154 in response. So not looking too good there. No, no. But hey, at least I think Wes Agar's finally picked up a wicket. So that's hey. nice. Mm. So Stewie, I think we have to start talking about the test team coming up, don't we? Yep. But the big news that I teased, we've got to mention that first. One of our opponents will only be playing one test. Yeah, Virat Kohli, it's very much breaking news. It's literally dropped about half an hour ago. He's only going to play one test in Australia before returning to be with his wife for the birth of their first child. Rohit Sharma's going to join the side for the test, so he'll take the place of Kohli. Probably should be in the squad already. Well, he probably should I'm be. I'm a big Rohit Sharma fan. Although I believe he is battling a hamstring injury. At the ah, moment, okay. So he's yeah. not, he, and he's a better short form than long form player. This is true. And, uh, and Tangarasu Natarajan will replace the injured Varun Chakravarthi who has done, I believe, something to his shoulder. So he's going to be out for the uh, for the series. So a couple of very difficult-to-pronounce names yes. being substituted for each other. Yes. This might be a pretty good excuse for India when we beat them. <laughs> we won't get too far ahead of ourselves, but our job will be a lot easier without Virat Kohli there, that's for sure. True, true. We really want to win the one that he's playing in, though. Mm-hmm. Now, we've got to look at the team, I think. There's so many runs are being scored, aren't they? Yep. So... The last time Australia played Test Cricket was the 3rd of January this year at the the SCG. It seems like three years ago. It really does. It was against New Zealand. So our team then was Warner, Burns, Labashane, Smith, Wade, Head, Payne, Pattinson, Cummins, Stark and Lyon. Jeez, a few names you could probably drop out of there. So, Stuart, you'd have to think that Pukowski would replace Burns in the opening spot. Absolute no-brainer there. And funnily enough, Burns is actually our third leading scorer in the last 12 months of Test Cricket. Not a huge sample size. No, it's not, but... <laughs> but no, it's it's an interesting point. But guys can get dropped when they've had good scores. I mean, look at Dizzy Gillespie. Yes, indeed, yep. Prime example. Yep. I would also probably look at maybe Travis Head and Matty Wade being a little bit unlucky losing his spot, but um, Cam Green, you'd think, would, would come in being that all-round option. Well, that's the really interesting one, I think. So do they just make the one change and bring Pukowski in for Burns? Because Head and Wade have been scoring runs in the Shield too. So do they bring in Green for, I think, probably Matty Wade? Yeah. So Head probably goes up the order, and then 
Green would come in before Timmy Payne and the bowlers. Yeah, Green would probably come in at six. Yeah. The, I guess the question is, do they roll that dice now? Or, which I think what might happen, is they only play Pukowski in the first test, knowing Coley's only playing the first test, hopefully get a lead of one or two, and maybe bring in Green for one of the non-performers in the third or fourth test. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. And going back to what I was saying before, it is the dilemma that the selectors have now is there's so many guys... It's a good dilemma to have. Yeah, that are making big runs. And I feel like Green deserves this spot. I think he's bowling quite well at the moment. I think he's batting... Okay, he had that one huge innings, but his batting's been pretty decent. He's had yeah, well, he had another 50 today, and he picked up a key wicket the other day, and he's yeah. just only just started bowling again. Yeah. And it's funny, I was thinking about him playing in the short-form team, and it actually probably makes sense for him to play in the T20s where he only bowls four overs. Yeah, true. Good way to ease his way back true. in, too. I, I just hope they give him more than one shot, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's only 21. True. Yeah. Then finally, Shui, the IPL finals have begun. Yeah, they're nearly finished, actually. We've got our final set up now. With they Mumbai, race through with, them. Yeah, with Mumbai and Delhi replaying the qualifier one. I'll kind of just go through the finals because, obviously, there are a few other games that were played last week after we recorded. But Dead rubbers. Most, well, there weren't so much dead rubbers, but there's just so much to go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Mumbai and Delhi in the first qualifier... Look, I've always said my favourite shot in cricket is a well-played straight drive. So, a bit ominous when Quentin de Kock played the first ball of the, the innings straight past Daniel Sams for four. He hit another four off the fifth ball of the over. 15 run over to start things off. That's a, a pretty decent start. Yep. I mean, Rohit Sharma got done first ball by Ravi Ashwin. So, it, you know, that was kind of a little bit of a chance for them to, to turn things around. But honestly, they just got off to such a huge flyer. Surya Kumar Yadav played his role beautifully. He was just rotating the strike for Dukok, and He was 36 after four overs, so an absolutely massive start. Handy with the bat. Dukok, yeah. No, Yadav. <laughs> <laughs> no, Yadav is, uh, yeah, he's he's had a great series. He's been been really, really good. The counterpunch to when he had to, when he was given any sort of width or length, he was just smashing things square. And, geez, the ball was coming on beautifully. It just, it just kept sitting up for them and, they were making him pay. Ishan Kishan kicked on beautifully when Dukok departed. One of the things I think, though, that I, I did want to just mention was the decision to bowl Kagisa Rabada and Anrik Norche so late in the innings. Mumbai usually are amazing through those middle orders, and Delhi maybe thought they could limit Mumbai using the using these two, but the problem was they were 2 for 93 off 10, and they've got a really deep batting lineup, so they can just attack from there. Four for 101, 2.2 overs later, you kind of think, well, maybe one more and Delhi are back in it. But Kishan was just struggling for his timing early on. He was 11 off 14, and then all of a sudden he found his groove. He had 44 off the next 16 balls. Played himself in. He really did. And Mumbai were able to take 55 off the last three overs to hit that magical 200 mark, which is a real psychological barrier. Hardik very, Pan- very hard to, to beat. Oh, it is. It is. Hardik Pandya went off for 37 off 14 as well at the end to, to really round out that innings beautifully. And when you're chasing 200, you kind of don't want to be three for none off 1.4 overs. Mm. <laughs> but that's exactly what happened. Pretty sure. And that's in the Australian parlance. Three wickets for no... Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Three wickets for no runs. So, yeah. so Shaw, Rahane and Darwin all sent packing with Daddles the Duck following them. Mm. This was the first time since the Deccan Chargers in 2009 that a team has started three for none. Ah, the good old Deccan Chargers. Yeah. A little bit of a middle-order partnership with Stoinis and Axar Patel. They put on 71 for the sixth wicket, but it, the, the damage was done. They just cruised home. I will say this, though. There was a really cool middle-overs interview with Mahela Jaya Wardner, and he's 
got such a great voice and such a great message to listen to. I really hope Sri Lanka have him earmarked as a replacement for Mickey Arthur when the time comes. Mm. Mm. Well, he was a great player and he's been a good commentator, so why not? Yep, definitely. So yeah, Mumbai move on fairly comfortably. Then we've got Hyderabad and Bangalore in the Eliminator. Hyderabad hasn't done amazingly chasing low totals in this series, including not chasing 127 against Kings Eleven Punjab. It's so a really flat batting performance, though, from Bangalore. Virat Kohli continued his poor run, his third single-figure score in the last four innings. Aaron Finch and A.B. Villiers steadied a little bit, but there just wasn't any urgency. And ironically, the only one who showed any sort of urgency was Moeen Ali, who was run out off a free hit. Oh, dear. For a golden duck. Mm. Something I've never seen before. A diamond duck? No, no, he was on strike. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, but, yep. uh, but, yeah, it was ridiculous. Hmm. But Srivats Goswami and David Warner failed, and before you knew it, 4 for 67 off 11.5 overs in, in reply. Looking a little bit dodgy, mm. but thank God for Hyderabad having Kane Williamson and Jason Holder in there. They just guided them home, got home with a couple of balls to spare. Not a really enjoyable game to watch at all. I'm kind of glad that I only have to watch that one once, to be honest. <laughs> And then last night, we had the second qualifier between Delhi and Hyderabad. Delhi joining Mumbai in the final for a rematch of Qualifier 1. The Hyderabad fielding was absolutely disgraceful in this one. Stoinis was dropped early, made a quick-fire 38 with his move to the top of the order, an absolute stroke of genius. Yeah, I reckon I reckon top of the order might be Stoinis' best spot in the short form. Do you reckon? Yeah, it's a pretty good point. I mean, he's, he certainly showed it there. I don't think when he's coming in the middle order and having to just swing freely, it's good for him to get an over or two to kind of see see the ball and kind of get his eye in, and then he can really accelerate quickly from there. So, yeah, I think it's a good point. Hopefully something that he can do for Australia, although we're kind of blessed with a lot of good yeah, top yeah, win. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he comes in at three or four. I don't know. But, but yeah, they also got a really, really crucial 42 off 22 from Shimron Hetmeyer. He was just flat batting everything, real typical Caribbean sort of innings. Shika Darwin. He was, he was the story. 78 off 50. He batted beautifully. Yeah, Hyderabad just couldn't get any sort of momentum going. They conceded 20 boundaries off their 20 overs. It felt like not using Rashid Khan in the power play was a mistake, though. He hasn't bowled a single ball in the power play throughout the entire series, which I was very surprised Yeah, at. well, down in the big bash, he often bowls in the power play, mm. often open, or sometimes opens. He does, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think it allowed the Delhi top order to swing a little bit more freely than they probably would have. But then in reply, the Mr. Hyde of David Warner was back, out for two. Mm. He hasn't had an amazing run. He had that 85, but other than that, he hasn't been great in the last week or two. While the Sunrisers kept the run rate going fairly close early, the wickets fell way too regularly. Kigisa Rabada's 4 for 29 and Stoinis' 3 for 26 just put way too much pressure on the lower order players. And they got it down to 30 off 12, which is doable, but Rabada took another three wickets off the 19th over, and that was all she wrote. So... We have ourselves a final. Yes, indeed. Mm. The two best sides in the competition throughout, so they probably deserve to be there. You've got a couple of quick little updates in the tennis world, Shui. Yeah, we've had a, a couple of tournaments finish, so the Astana opens where we should probably start. Aussie John Millman finally broke through for his first ATP title in Astana in Noor Sultan, which is the capital of Kazakhstan. Mm. So I'm sure Borat was there watching. Yes, indeed. Um, I must say, it actually looks really beautiful. Though. It's a, it's a gorgeous-looking city. He'd previously lost in finals in Tokyo and Budapest, but managed to beat Frenchman Adrian Manorino 7-5-6-1 in the first ever Astana Open. So Milman can actually say he's the only person in the history of tennis to have won that tournament. That's true. He did it the hard way, though. He trailed a set and three love to Francis Tiafo in the semis and came back from a set down and 5 nothing in the deciding tiebreak against Tommy Paul in the quarterfinals. 
And then in the tournament that's just finished, the Paris Masters, a lot of disappointment early as Guy Forget was was kind of pissed off about a lot of withdrawals. You had Novak Djokovic, Dominic Thiem, Denis Shapovalov, Gael Monfils, Fernando Vadasco all pulled out before the tournament. I can understand why Djokovic wouldn't play. He can't lose his number one ranking here. But this tournament's worth 1,000 ATP ranking points for the winner. So someone like Vadasco, who currently sits 62nd in the rankings, could jump up to about 23rd if had he played and won. Mm. Obviously, he didn't. Mm. But guys like Tiam, it could move him above Nadal. Shapovalov and Monfils could put him in the top 10. So a lot of real sort of fringe there players. There are stakes. Guess, yeah, yeah. A lot of stakes. Yep. In terms of the results, it was a third ATP Masters 1000 crown for Daniel Medvedev, who beat Sverev 5-7, 6-4, 6-1 in the final. It became the fourth Russian to win the event, joining Karen Kachinov, Nikolai Davidenko, and Marit Safin, who won it three times. Not really any surprises in this tournament. No major upsets aside from Stefano Tsitsipas losing in his first match against Hugo Umber. And I guess Nadal losing to Sverev in the semi-final. But Sverev just served out of his skin. Nadal was slightly off his mark, I guess. And the new breed aren't really afraid of the big three anymore. I think that's kind of what we're starting to see. So it's a bit funny that uh, the Paris Open happens after the French Open, isn't it? Yeah, I think potentially because it's a different surface because yeah. it's played on the hard Not court clay. rather than clay. Yeah. That, that could potentially be why. But yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it is, it is a little bit weird seeing that. I did want to say, though, Medvedev for me looks like the one who's really getting ready to take the mantle from the big three. I'm liking his game a little bit to Djokovic's. He moves around the court so spectacularly, so effortlessly at times. He's got an amazing ability to make passing shots on the full sprint, just forcing his opponent to play that one extra ball, which can sometimes lead to the errors. He's dangerous. When there's a crowd, he fully embraces the villain role. Yeah, oh, he loves being the bad guy. Which yeah. is great. When there's not, he just plays, plays. his game anyway. Yeah, well, he's but, a good player. But yeah, he's really patient. Doesn't try and finish points before they're ready to be finished. He might actually be my favorite player whose surname isn't Federer. And I never <laughs> thought I'd say that. But yeah, he's absolutely brilliant to watch. And then just quickly, another one that started the Sofia Open in Bulgaria. Alex Diminor and John Milman are the three and six seeds, respectively. Expecting to do pretty well in the field where the top two seeds are Denis Shapovalov and Felix Augur Aliasime, who are struggling a little bit in recent times. So those boys could be in for a decent chance. Yeah, watch this space there. Mm-hmm. And now, this week in sport history. November 4th, 1971, the NBA's Los Angeles Lakers start a 33-game win streak. This record still stands to this day. Two teams have got pretty close in recent years. Miami in 2012-2013 got to 27, and the Golden State Warriors actually got to 28 across the end of the 2014-15 and the start of the 2015-16 seasons. Interestingly, though, the Lakers and Warriors streaks were both ended by the Milwaukee Bucks. Hmm. 5th of November 1976, the Oakland Athletics traded manager Chuck Tanner to Pittsburgh for the three-time All-Star catcher Manny St. Guillen and $100,000 in cash. It was the first time a manager had been traded for a player in Major League Baseball history. Tanner managed the Pirates for nine years and led the team to the World Series Championship in 1979. Funnily enough, St. Guillen only played one year at the A's and was on the 1979 championship team for Pittsburgh. That's crazy. November 6, 1929, the Providence Steamrollers, one of our favourite names, became the first NFL team to host a game at night under floodlights and were subsequently steamrolled 16-0 by the Chicago Cardinals at the Cycle Drome in Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, I like what you did there. Yep. November 7, 1943, the Detroit Lions and New York Giants play out the one and only scoreless draw in modern NFL history. At the time, America was in the midst of the Second World War, 
And Detroit had limits on canned goods, jams, meat, sugar, shoes, fuel oil, gasoline, yet football was still happening. It was a particularly rainy and muddy day which made handling the ball really difficult. The Giants only got past the halfway mark twice in the entire game, and on one of those, their kicker, Ward Cuff, what a name, by the way, missed a field goal from 15 yards out. That was as close as anyone got. The Giants had three first downs all day, while the Lions managed only six. This was a crazy year with the Cleveland Rams suspending operations due to not being able to field a team and the Eagles and Steelers merged to become the Steagles so they had enough players. And let me tell you, those fan bases don't like each other very much. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Let's go Steagles. Mm. It's a Steagles chicken and you can't beat that. (laughs) November 7th, 1991, Magic Johnson announces he has the HIV virus and retires from the Los Angeles Lakers. Now in 1992, he joined the Dream Team. In 1994, he coached the Lakers and then played for them in 1996. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? Absolutely amazing timeline for Magic. He's still one of the biggest characters in the entire history of the league. And now owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers who won the Major League Baseball World Series. And I believe the LA Sparks as well. Oh yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Hmm. Hmm. This week in sport history. Just some very quick news in the NBL before we get to the NBA. Majok Majok out for the season. Yeah, he suffered an Achilles tendon injury at training of all places. Mm. This is horrible. This is, I can almost hear Alan Iverson sitting there going, <laughs> it's practice, man. We're talking about practice. <laughs> uh, this leaves a massive hole for the Cats, especially with them opting not to apply to have import John oh, Mooney really as, a, as a next star, which mm. would have allowed them to retain Miles Plumley. Mm. We'll go after another big import. And he was very serviceable at centre for us last. He was an important part of our championship team. He was. All of a sudden, the Cats looking a little bit thin. Yeah, we are up for it. Well, across the whole roster. The whole team, yeah. Well, Bryce will have to carry us. He will. But, good news in the NBA. We have a restart. Yeah, we've got the 22nd of December. As initially rumoured. Yeah, look, it's a date that not many of the big names are probably too happy about, but it's a necessary evil for getting the season started. Well, it really is. And as I mentioned last week, they reported that it could be up to a billion dollars lost just for that month. So from half a billion to a billion. So I think when the money starts talking, the players start uh, deciding that they'll play. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and they, and I, I heard today they lost, I think, $1.5 billion last season. Yeah. So they already lost a lot of money last season. they got to get back out there yeah. as soon as possible. And hey, we had eight teams not play since March, and then another several other teams not play since mid-August. So they will have a decent break. Yeah. Not to mention the break they had between pre-bubble and bubble. Yeah, between March and August. Yeah, so they did have a break. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see who the real winners of this. I mean, you'd, you'd like to think that teams that are keeping their roster together will be your winners, like your Miamis, Bostons, and Denvers. They don't really have to rush their chemistry. They're not trying to fit a key free agent signing in. Golden State will probably win as well. They've they've got Curry Thompson and Green back, and, and a lot of their they'll their be nice and fresh. Back. They'll be very very fresh. Yep. On and the they f- won't be sitting out games like LeBron will. No, exactly. And on the flip side, probably not a great year to be a free agent. Oh, definitely not. No, so, no, no, no. Salary caps. A lot of players opting in. Yeah, a lot of definitely, yeah, definitely. So as they should. So yeah, a lot of teams probably won't be keen to make many big moves. Obviously, not having a lot of money there. Look, I'm stoked that this won't impact the potential Olympics competition, but I worry that the first month or so is going to be pretty average. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be very, very interesting to see. Teams will have different tactics. Will, will, will these big guys be all talk about sitting out? Or it's it's hard to know. Well, and we always talk about legacies. If LeBron does want to break Kareem's record, if he sits out too much in the first few months, it really makes it even tougher for him. He'd have to play an extra season. You'd have to think the competitor in him probably comes out in that. But anyway. Yes, indeed. Yeah. 
So we've got a couple of hires off the court now. Yeah, they're kind of inextricably linked, really, because Daryl Morey, formerly of the Houston Rockets, has now been signed by Philadelphia. And the Houston Rockets now have Stephen Silas, son of Paul, as their new coach. Yeah, I suppose we probably have to go through them one at a time. So the Daryl Morey one, this is really interesting. How quickly he's gone off small ball and three-point shooting. Well, yeah, because apparently he said this is the roster they want to work with. So he's willing to give Simmons and Embiid a season. As we've mentioned, we think he should, or we think the team should. I actually heard something today about them potentially going after Drew Holiday. Well, Drew Holiday's been rumoured for about half the league. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> to be honest. This is true. That poor guy probably never knows where he's going to be setting up. Uh, but this is the guy who traded Clint Capella for Robert Covington, effectively. And, yes. and now he loves a roster that's all super tight. It, it intrigues me. His first job, though, he has got to do something with the contracts of Al Horford and Tobias Harris. I don't know what exactly he does. Horford still has three years and $81 million on his contract and averaged 7-7-2 seven, seven, last yeah, year. Yeah, it just didn't fit that team. Yeah, and Tobias Harris's might even be worse. For yeah. Four years, $147 million left. He's probably the more movable contract out of the two, although with the new salary cap, he probably won't be. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I don't know how many teams would be lining up for him. So, yeah, there's, there's already been hardened to Philly rumours Well, of course, well. yeah, yeah. And that is partly because... Harden apparently a bit unhappy with the coaching staff, although they've recently hired John Lucas, who he wanted to be the next coach. Mm. So John Lucas is on Silas's staff as an assistant and obviously super experienced, been a head coach a number of times, former player, NBA great. Mm. So maybe Harden will stick around, especially if Maury is willing to give it a year. Yeah, and, and look, speaking of the experience, I mean, Stephen Silas, he has well and truly put the time in. He's got nearly two decades of experience as an assistant coach with the Hornets, the Cavs, the Warriors and the Mavs. And his dad had a decent career too, so he's had some. He's been learning basketball from day one, yeah. basically. Did you know he was an assistant with the Hornets at 27? Wow. There were 10 guys on that Hornets roster that were older than him. 10. Well, there's some young coaches in the NFL, actually. Where, yeah, yeah. It's it's a funny... It's, it's, it's rare, but it does happen. Mm. I mean, we're not going to get into it too much today because we'll have a look at the Rockets in the coming weeks. But, and Philly, yeah. But indeed. surely he's got to look at that roster and feel pretty good about it, just really having to find a serviceable big and they can be competitive again. doesn't need to be Anthony Davis, but the playoffs definitely showed that, Nath, you were right. The Rockets cannot win in the West without a big. Hey, until they prove me otherwise, they're the regular season Rockets. Yep. And I dare say James Harden has a bit to do with that too, not just small ball. So we continue our season in review and look forward to the next season, which, as we mentioned, is now only one and a half months away. This week, we're looking at the Southeast Division. We'll start with Miami, of course, our runners-up, who took the Lakers to six games after winning 44 and losing 29. Their longest winning streak was five, which occurred twice. Their longest losing streak was three between the 6th and 10th of February. They've got pick 20 in the draft. They had a strong start to the season and set a good tone, resulting in an NBA Finals appearance no one would have expected pre-season with Jimmy Butler on the team in his first season. And like the Lakers, they actually stumbled into the playoffs with a poor 3-5 and record in the bubble. They secured key playoff pieces, Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala, though, mid-season, and that really helped that team. Yeah, look, I mean, a very successful year for Miami. As you said, they pushed the Lakers. Had they been healthy, who knows what would have happened. Yes, indeed. They found so many great young pieces. There's three fearless youngsters in Hero, Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn. They found an emerging superstar in Bam Adebayo who got his first all-star nod. This was another team that was just galvanized by the bubble experience. And Jimmy Butler emerged as the leader of this team. He finally feels like he's found a team that appreciates him yep, rather than blaming a, him. There's a lot to be optimistic about. And he that is Jimmy's team, yep, no doubt. Definitely. No doubt. 
I mean, in terms of, I guess, who their shining light was, it's it's got to be Hero and Robinson as a pairing. I mean, those two were superb. Absolutely. I think everyone was expecting big things from Hero with the 13th pick, but Robinson was a, a find and a half. He was actually... Undrafted. I yeah, I didn't realise he was actually in his second season. He actually played 15 games in the 18-19 season, but still. But yeah, I think he came out of the G League. Yeah, that's that, yeah. that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. But look, 13 points a game on 47% shooting when 88% of your shots are threes. That's a pretty decent number. And just a great complimentary piece for Butler and Bam. And, and i got to say, okay, 13th pick, you might get a decent player. But no one predicted him to do what he did in the playoffs, Tyler Hero. Exactly. He has got ice in his veins, that he, kid. He does. Now, what have they got to get rid of? They've got a couple of things. So Solomon Hill's contract last year. Now, I know I made the joke about him potentially going for 96 points if they kept him in for all of game six. But, you know, he was $12 million deal is not great for him. Andre Iguodala's was $17 million. Those two probably both need to go. They're both expiring con- or they're both expired contracts. So I think they probably need to either try and get them on a little bit more cap-friendly deals or... Yeah, let, mid-level let exception maybe. Yeah. Myers Leonard's another interesting one. He's an unrestricted free agent. There's talk about him being let go. Well, they didn't play him a lot when Bam was injured, so that's not all that surprising, is yeah. it? Yeah, Derrick Jones Jr. is another one that surprises me that they're potentially letting him go. But you've got to look at it. Leonard and Olenek are the only guys above six foot nine who are actually playing decent minutes for the Heat. They need to keep some height. Yeah, well, I think they'll keep Olenek. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? But, gee, they've got a good core. They're they, definitely heading in the right direction. They do. They're definitely trending in the right direction. Yeah. Did you know Bam Adebayo's first name is actually Idris? No, I did not. So there you go. There you go. Something I found out this week. Should we go to their friends in Florida? Yeah, the home team for the entire bubble. Yes, indeed. The Orlando Magic. They finished 33-40 and 40 and actually only won three of their first 10 games. So it's pretty impressive that they made the playoffs. Their longest winning streak was five between the 3rd of March and the 3rd of August because the final one, of course, was in the bubble. So that's a wow. pretty long five game yeah, undefeated streak. over that it's yeah. impressive several months the longest losing streak was five twice once pre-August and once in the bubble where they also went three and five they will be picking 15 I think you can probably say that they were lucky to make the playoffs more so, yep. more so that they were lucky to be in the east but this was just another typical Orlando season really They've had one winning record since Dwight Howard left in 2012, and they've only they've only won two playoff games in that span. Both of them game one shockers against Milwaukee and Toronto. They seem to be stuck as this fringe playoff team right now. They've got a roster that's good but not great. Defensively, they're superb, but they're mediocre on offense. They're 23rd in offensive rating and 24th in pace. They're just not a great offensive team. I did really like Jonathan Isaac, though. He was a really big shining light for them. He was always a really good defender, but he was elite this year. Fourth in the league in block shots per game, 14th in steals, and 10th in deflections. He's a menace. I mean, it's probably critical to the way the Magic play how he comes back from his injury, if he can come back this year. I mean, he blew out his knee about three months ago, so it's probably not likely that he will play much this season, but he could be crucial to any sort of playoff tilt they, they make. And they've got Mo Bamba as well. So they've got a couple of decent bigs. Aaron Gordon's a really interesting one for me. Not a max guy, but he'll probably want to command max money. Do you want to pay him max? Do you then lock yourself into mediocrity for several years? It's funny you say that because one of my notes in here in terms of what they need and what they need to let go of is I've actually written here, maybe it's time to test the market on Aaron Gordon. Yeah, well, they've got Vucevic there too. So they have a couple of decent bigs. And the, the thing I would say is the other one's probably Al Farouk Aminu. 
he just he wasn't fit last year. He played 18 games. He had career lows in points, field goal percentage, and free throw percentage. Well, he's been around a fair while now. He, he has. He's still only, I think, 31 from memory. I'm just not sure there's room on this team for a longish athletic swingman who shoots 25% from threes. They've already got Michael Carter-Williams to do that. So just, yeah, I think they need to potentially let him go. And, and as we said, yeah, Aaron Gordon's probably the other one that they need to start shopping and see what they can get for him. And if the right offer comes up, you know, you start looking at guys who can consistently create their own offense, speed up the offense as well, get that pace up a little bit. Well, speaking of picking up the pace, Markel Fultz is the other really interesting one for mine. So he was a former number one pick for Philadelphia, didn't have a great start, had the yips with his shooting and all that, but he's only 22. So he could be a good piece for them too. I, I like him. He seems to have turned the corner. Yeah, just, I haven't given up on him. Nah, just got to yeah. keep working on that jump shot, get it a little bit more consistent. But no, I, I do rate him as, a, as a, a good player off the bench. Now, okay, it starts to drop off here for this division. Charlotte, 23-42. and 42. They last played a game on the 12th of March. Their longest winning streak was three, which occurred three times. Their longest losing streak was eight between the 7th and 25th of January. But, geez, it was a woeful stretch for them because the one win following those eight losses led to another five losses in a row, which then, of course, makes it not a surprise at all that they have pick three in the draft. This was never going to be a great year for the Hornets. They had six guys, 22 and under, only Nicholas Batum over the age of 28. Still getting over the loss of uh, Kemba Walker leaving too. Exactly. They effectively handed the franchise to Terry Rozier, who had never averaged more than 11.3 points a game before this season. Their offense was abysmal. Second last in offensive rating, dead last in pace. 24th in defensive rating as well. So they're, they're shit on both sides of the ball, to be honest. Mm. I dare say this could be a sign of things to come. Not many really great things to be excited about except for the third pick in the draft, which you mentioned. So... Well, I wouldn't give up hope on Malik Monk and Miles Bridges. They could be two decent players for them. I but I don't know if Bismarck Biombo has, you know, he's he's 28 now. So I think if he was going to become anything, I think we would have seen enough by now. I think Monk and Bacon are basically the exact same player. Sort of athletic guys who can't shoot. So you could potentially look at getting rid of one of them, but they're both on pretty... Pretty cheap contract. Well, Monk's anyway. only 22. He's on his rookie rookie salary. You're right. Bacon's on a very small salary too, but he's 25, so yeah. they might want to get I'd rid of him. I'd probably get rid of him. But Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny you say. I mean, quick shining light, Devontae Graham for sure. I mean, he was overlooked in the Most Improved Player Award. He went from 4.7 to 18.2 points a game in his second season. Yeah, the biggest beneficiary of Kemba Walker leaving, I yep. dare say. He was eighth in the league in assists as well. Yeah, well. Which is a, that really surprised me. Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's excellent. His shot selection's not amazing, but he's a guy that you probably need to have in a lot more pick and roll this season, just kind of let him run a lot of the offense. But yeah, you're definitely right about one of the contracts that I had was Bismack Biombo, unrestricted free agent. He was pretty average for them this year. You maybe re-sign him if you can get him for half of what he was on. He was on $17 million last yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, 7.4 points a game. That was actually a career high for him as well. Mm. So he's never been an amazing player, just a reasonable defensive guy. There's a lot of better big guys who can command less money, like an Aaron Baines or Christian Wood be the two guys I'd maybe look yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some buzz for there's some buzz for both, yeah. Yep. And then the other the other big problem that they have though is is Nicholas Batum's contract. It's probably one of the three or four worst in the league right now. 25 and a half mil. 27 million next season. Yeah. He averaged 3.6, four and a half and three a game. Yeah, see I loved him on those Portland teams, but he's passed it. Well and truly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's one of those ones I think if you can maybe package the third pick in Batum 
to sort of get him somewhere else, maybe get someone who's who's half decent in return. Well, the buzz is they really want James Wiseman. So they're hoping Wiseman slides to them at three, but they might trade up to two or even one to try and get him. Okay. That's what I've heard recently. Interesting. Although saying that, one of our mates told us the other day that James Wiseman's been projected at 11 to the Spurs. And I wanted us to trade up to get him. So if we can get him at 11, we'll be laughing. Jeez, I wonder if you you take the risk and see whether he falls that far. And if he doesn't, maybe come up with some sort of a package. I think yeah. Next, we have the Washington basketball team. <laughs> I wondered where you were going with The that. Washington Wizards. They finished 25 and 47. Of course, they did not make the playoffs. Their longest winning streak was two, which occurred four times. Their longest losing streak was seven. Between the 1st of August and the 12th of August, yes, they had a terrible bubble going one and seven. They have pick nine in the draft. It's kind of funny that the biggest problem with the Washington basketball team is probably one of the biggest problems with the football team right now, and that's a quarterback that's injured, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Yes, indeed, yes. And it's not a surprise. Given the injuries, it's not a surprise. They really were making up the numbers in the bubble. Exactly. John Wall has played 73 games in the last three seasons. Wow. He's making $38 a year. Wow. In fact, I think it goes up towards 41. Yeah. That's the problem that they have right now. Yeah. So, yeah, they're they're an absolute shit show right now. As you mentioned, an afterthought in the bubble. The vast majority of the season was just give the ball to Bradley Beal and let him score as much as he can. Uh, it's just one of those seasons that couldn't really finish soon enough. and Yeah, as soon as Wall was announced as done for the year, they would have been better off tanking hard to get a better draft pick than number nine. They're probably fortunate that it's quite an even draft in terms of there's not really any... Oh, you can get a difference maker at nine. Oh, you yeah. might not get a star, but you'll get a guy that can contribute at but nine. But there's not many but stars they, Do the they star. need a contributor? They need a star. That's the problem. True. They need a star. They, need to, they probably need to trade up. Potentially. I, I don't know. Like, Do you maybe shop around Achimura or do you maybe hold on to him because he's only 22 I'd hold on to Achimura if I, if I but they don't have many trade trade chips so Bradley Beal is the obvious one that a lot of people have been throwing around who else is attractive on that team are you got to give something away to get something and in this, return this is the problem is that the contract that Bradley Beal has is okay but the contract that John Wall has isn't Oh, no. No, not at all. So yeah, No one's touching of... Wall until he's an expiring, and even then they might not touch him. So, yeah, you kind of have to go with that. I really like Mo Wagner in college. I think he could be a decent player. He's only 23. Like I mentioned, Hachimura's 22. They have a couple of young pieces, but, jeez, it's not a good time to be a Washington sports fan at the moment at no. all. No. At all. In terms of a shining light, though, Davis Bertans, and I know this one probably hurts a little bit for you. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry to bring it up, and I... I Still hate what Marcus Morris did to the Spurs. Yep, he's a prick. But, yeah, I mean, he's had such a a great year. Nearly twice as many shots and twice as many points as the previous year. And they had him on an absolute bargain of a contract. They did. He's still very much a one-sided player, but the Wizards are atrocious defensively anyway, so you don't really... Oh, he's handy defensively. He's he's not bad. He's athletic. He can block shots. He's not spectacular one-on-one. Yeah, look, he's there's worse. There is worse. Oh, there's a lot yeah. worse, but yeah, yeah no, he's, he's, he's not amazing. So go back to that point of what do they need, what do they need to get rid of. I mean, in terms of what they need to get rid of, Jan Mahimi's $15 million contract's probably not a bad place to start. They need scoring off their bench, though. Their bench is just, it's terrible. It's full of a lot of cast-offs from other teams. I would look at someone like a Jordan Clarkson. If they can get him on a similar deal to what he's on now at $12 million, that's a pretty reasonable start. Geez, it's, it's, yeah, it's hard to find positives for this team. I think they're going to have to start taking on salary dumps to, to acquire picks. Yeah. And it's got to be a long game with them. Yeah. But, geez, it's been a long game with them for 10 years odd. 
Finally, Atlanta Hawks, 20 and 47. Their longest winning streak was two, which occurred four times. Their longest losing streak was 10, which happened twice. I see you wearing the Dominic Wilkins jersey there, mate. They had a particularly torrid run between mid-November and the end of 2019 going three and 21, which of course then makes it no surprise that they got the sixth pick. Yeah, I mean, not an amazing year on the court for the Hawks. And you guys like Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter, they weren't amazing in their first years as lottery picks, especially when you consider what Tyler Hero did a few picks after them. They lost a bunch of key guys to injuries. In the case of John Collins, a suspension for 25 games. Mm. The best thing to happen with them, though, was Houston's decision to commit to small ball. They only had to give up Evan Turner, who was absolute trash. <laughs> And a first-round draft pick for Clint Capella. Yeah, who's only 26. So, real cause for optimism there. I mean, their shining light really isn't so much a player, but it's their situation. They've got $40 million in cap space. Like, that's a really, really good situation with so many great young players. I really like the Trey Young and Collins pick and roll. I think it's a, it's a great weapon. Yeah, yep. But the other good thing for them as well is that they've got a couple of really, really average contracts that they can use to potentially open up even more cap space. So they need to get rid of centers. They've got Capella, John Collins, Dwayne Dedman, Bruno Fernando, and Damian Jones who can all play center. Dedman's probably the odd one out. 13 million for a guy who didn't even average 6-6 and and about 40% from the field. Yes, I dare say the Spurs made him look better than what he is. I dare say you're right. Playing on a good team helps. And I'd probably also look at moving off Jeff Teague. 19 million last year. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Trey Young is going to take up most of the minutes and be handling the ball most of the time. So that, that does make a lot of sense. You try and get a cheap backup point guard. Yeah. Yeah, they need some well-priced veterans. I mean, if they move Devin and Teague, their oldest player would be DeAndre Membry, Clint Capella, and Trevion Graham at, at 26. So they probably do need a little bit more... <laughs> They're going to struggle to meet the minimum cap hold. Looking at the cap here... That's part of the reason why I think Teague and Deadman are on the are on the list. Mm. So they might have to throw a shitload of money at a couple of veterans to maintain cap flexibility going forward because I don't think they're snagging any big fish at this time. And the thing is, I think that just comes back to the fact I think Trey Young was on about six and a half million last Still year. Still on his rookie deal. So yeah. they're, they're not able to throw the money at him that he deserves. But they're going to be a very interesting team next year. Yeah, well, looking at them compared to Washington, I know which team I'd rather be supporting at the moment. That's right, the Atlanta basketball team. Yes, indeed. Indeed, yes. Yes. But I'll tell you what, Trey Young, he's got the burden of expectation and he's got the link with Doncic because of that trade. So that's an interesting story yeah. still to play out more as well, I feel. Yeah. This will be one that we won't really know the true extent of for another 10, 15 years. Mm. And then just wrapping up NBA, Stewie, you got a bit of shits and giggles for us. Yes, Paul George got engaged to Daniela Radic, the stripper who uh, has kind of made her way through the NBA. (laughs) Boy, the internet did not mess with this one, though. Check out some of these roasts. Even his girl got more rings than him. (laughs) Jeez. Surprised he did this in the fourth quarter of 2020. (laughs) Wouldn't be surprised if he missed the finger putting the ring on. (laughs) I'm surprised PG showed up for the big day. Wow. But amazingly, none of those are my favourite. My nod goes to, congratulations to Dame's son for getting engaged. You don't get, no? Okay, well, I'll explain this Because he owned him. No, well, it was actually rumoured that Lillard had had an affair with Rajic while he was dating Doc Rivers' daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and they're not sure who the the baby's dad was, whether it was Lillard's or... It's it's an absolute shit show. So, uh, yeah, maybe a little bit of a a hint that, that maybe Paul George might be Lillard's son. 
assuming I'm, I'm reading that correctly, but... Oh, jeez. I, I just thought that was quite well put. But yeah, jeez, the, the internet never misses. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week comes with a disclaimer. If you're squeamish at all, you might want to fast forward to the next segment. Oh, yeah. And I probably should have put that disclaimer in last week, thinking about it, considering the javelin to the, the groin. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> The WWE always does a really good job of explaining that they're trained professionals, don't try this at home, yada, yada, yada. Oh, yes. Well, it seems that that was advice that American wrestler by the name of Justin probably should have heeded. So the video is pretty rough on this one. Essentially, the guys just entered the ring before the match, and we're talking one of those redneck plywood-looking monstrosities. Yeah, I think that episode of South Park. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So he jumps off the second rope, just an ordinary 180 jump, not a flip or anything cool, and both of his legs just snap backwards oh it's like the complete opposite direction to the way they should go yes knees should only go one way like imagine that he's sitting down on a chair except his legs have been turned around Mm. now if you're going to be doing this sort of thing what's one thing you probably should have a floor with give well yeah i mean a floor with gives do you know what it looked like to me it looked like do you remember playing banjo kazooie (laughs) when you were kazooie and banjo was on your back and you bent down to jump and then, like, the legs, the knee goes the other way. <laughs> it was kind of like that. Sorry, I know that's a really weird explanation, <laughs> no, but that's no, the no. first thing I thought of when no, I saw no, it. No, no. Oh, dear. And it's just insult to injury, Stewie, isn't it? Well, yeah, exactly. The, the thing that I was hinting at was insurance. Yeah, He yeah. doesn't have insurance. So multiple surgeries and rehab, it's going to send him back hundreds of thousands of dollars over there because, you know, America. Yep, no health plan. So his fiance set up a GoFundMe page asking for $200,000. <sighs> A couple of days ago, it was sitting at about 10%. I'd like to think they'll probably get there, but... Well, in COVID times. Mm, yeah, that's, this is true. The other thing about this was the lack of empathy from his wrestling opponent, who was dressed as the Joker with a Foot Locker shirt on. <laughs> he just stood there. Walking. He just stood there. Yeah. It's like, dude, his knees went the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> there was... call a fucking ambulance. Yeah. Uh, there was some guy in the crowd who was like, dude broke both his legs. <laughs> yeah, just so matter-of-factly. <laughs> yeah, this just had to be in... Like Georgia or Kentucky oh, or geez. one of those ones. But yeah, geez, for having to sit through a 15 second video of a guy busting both of his knees, all I can say is bloody hell. Bloody hell. So there's a lot going on in the trade world, Shui, but very little set in stone so far. So we'll just go through our continued season wrap up. With the next three cabs off the rank, first of all, Hawthorne in 15th place. So we're working our way from the bottom up. They finished 5-12, and 12, which was considerably worse than last season when they finished 11-11. and 11. They started with such promise by beating Brisbane by 28 in round 1, and then Richmond by 32 in round 3. They were 3-1 and one to start the season, and looking really good, but then went 2-11 and 11 the rest of the way. The only other wins against Carlton in round 9, and the Gold Coast the final week of the season. Their longest winning streak was 2 between rounds 3 and 4. Their longest losing streak was 11 between rounds 11 and 17. As I mentioned, their biggest scalp was Richmond by 32 in round 3. Biggest loss, arguably Sydney in round 8 by 7 points when they were still in striking range. Their win-loss against the top 8 was 2-6. and six. Their win-loss against the bottom 8 was 3-6. and six. Yeah, look, I'd probably give these guys a D-. minus. wasn't a particularly great season, especially considering the start. I mean, they were sitting fourth after round four, and then three rounds later, they're 14th. Yep. Absolutely fell off a cliff. <sighs> yeah, it, it left them the lowest they've been on the ladder since 2005. Is the dynasty over? The dynasty is well and truly. It well and truly is. Yep. How long's Clarkson got left? A <sighs> couple of years, you'd think. It's an interesting one. Yep. 
their list is the oldest in the comp. They had older players clogging up a lot of key positions. Unfortunately, they now have the problem that they've had all these retirements. So Ricky Henderson, Ben Stratton, Danny Frawley, and Paul Puopolo, as well as Connor Glass going back to Ireland. And then they had guys like Jaeger O'Meara when they were trying to go all in. Yep. Didn't work out too well for them. Exactly. So the Hawks have pretty much got to rely on something they haven't done in a while. They've got to rebuild through the draft. Yep, definitely trending down. Yep. Definitely. So, so yeah, look, they've still got a lot of talent. They just don't have the same depth at the bottom of their list as a lot of the contenders do. And I think that's the problem, is that a lot of these other teams have a really solid base of 35 to 40 players they can rely on to a certain extent. Hawthorne don't seem to have anywhere near that. The other thing is that Collingwood apparently are sniffing around for Jack Gunston as well. So they'll lose some goal kicking. But really, they've got to bottom out. They do. Bottom out, get a good draft pick. Yep. It's time. Not great for Tom Mitchell, who probably thought he was going to a premiership contender. He did manage to win a Brownlow there, but uh, he may be playing for a pretty average team for a while. Well, I mean, he would have been playing for an average team in Sydney as well. So. Well, I don't know if they'll be as average, but True. we'll see. <laughs> In 14th place, the Gold Coast finished 5-11-1. They finished 3-19 last season, which made them last spot. After a big loss to Port in round one, Gold Coast won their next three and were looking very promising with Matt Rowe polling nine Brownlow votes, as we now know. We thought it might have been 12 after four rounds, but he only had nine. He got injured and the rest is history with only two more wins against Sydney and North and a draw against Essendon amongst the 10 losses. Their longest winning streak was three between rounds two and four. Their longest winless streak was six, which had included a draw against Essen in round 11. That was between rounds eight and 13. Their biggest scalp was the Eagles by 44 points in round two. Their biggest loss, sorry, their biggest loss, a five-point <laughs> loss to the Dogs in round eight with the Suns sitting on four and three at that stage and probably the beginning of the end. But at that stage, they thought they were probably still potentially finals bound. They went one and seven against the top eight. That win against the Eagles again, sorry, Shui. And they went four and two with a draw against the bottom eight. Oh, look, I was expecting that to be brought up, unfortunately. It was a great win. This was a really difficult team to grade. Somewhere between a C plus and a B minus, I think. The results, yeah, that's fair. They don't look amazing on, on paper, but yeah, they've got to bottle up rounds two and four. I honestly thought Matt Rowe would have like 18 Brownlow votes from those three games. Oh, he, he is was, amazing. He was, he was that bloody Well, that's why when you said, like, I can't remember who you said last week, might find a diamond in the rough like Matt Rowe. Like, he is a once-in-a-generation player. Yeah, I mean, if they can get someone close to that. But oh. but yeah, look, as you mentioned, they ran the Eagles off the park. They flat-out handled the Crows and the Dockers. This, this is a team, when you look at Rowe, Noah Anderson, Isaac Rankin, Ben King, Jack Lukosius... And then they've got a nice mix of veterans, assuming they all stay. Guys like Alex Sexton, Brandon Ellis, Jared Harbrow, David Swallow. Next year should be really, really fun. Finals or bust. Especially with a number five pick as well. Yeah, so, finals or bust. I would think it is, yeah. They're not going to be third or fourth, you wouldn't think. No, but geez, if Sixth with another preseason under their belts, yeah. you know. They've got to be It's not six. out of the question. Yeah. I don't think it will happen, but it's not out of the question. It's an exciting time to be a Gold Coast Suns fan. I think a home elimination final should be the goal. Absolutely. Yep, that's fair. And then finally for this week, in 13th place, we had Essendon at 6-10-1. They also had that draw against Gold Coast, as we just mentioned. This was following a 12-10 season the year before where they lost to the Eagles in the qualifying final after finishing 8th. Essendon beat Collingwood by 15 in a comeback effort in round five, and they were 5-2 and two in their first seven games in spite of a COVID scare with Connor McKenna's false positive. They only managed one more win and a draw against Gold Coast the rest of the way, which is absolutely terrible. 
Their longest winning streak was two twice. Their longest losing streak was four. They also had a stretch of five games without a win with that draw in the middle, as I mentioned. Their biggest scalp, as I mentioned, was that Collingwood by 15. Their biggest loss, I think, was GWS by four in round 10, when finals was very much still a chance. Their win-loss against the top eight was one and seven. Their win-loss against the bottom eight, five, three, and one. Trending down. Yeah, definitely trending down, yeah. I mean, probably a D-minus, I would think. It was one of those seasons that looked good for the Bombers, and I can just kind of see another South Park meme here. Like, you blinked, and it's gone. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, even with all the dramas, they were still sitting fourth after round six, and then they just kept getting trounced. They, their only wins after there were Adelaide and Hawthorne, who were 18th and 15th at the time they played them. So the Joey Danaher drama circled the club for far too long. People were frequently talking more about the coaching than the players. Yeah, with that dual coaching thing. And they didn't that's even... finished now. So Rutten's in and Wush's out. So at least that's over. Yeah, but fun. now all the pressure goes on to Ben Rutten. Very true. And they didn't even give Tom Bell Chambers a last match. I mean, you're not even... Yeah, that was disappointing. Because apparently he was a great clubman too. Yeah. You know, so really that cool. is that is disappointing. So they've got... No sentimentality in footy. Yeah, true. Look, they've got picks six and seven in the draft. Hopefully they can do something similar to what Gold Coast did last year. I mean, they're not going to find Raul and Anderson, you wouldn't think. No. But if they can go even close to that... And if they can hit on one of those two picks with a great player, they'd be happy, I yeah, reckon. Yeah, you'd think so. And I think I think they'd be happy to be rid of Danaher too, because he's made of glass. Oh, 100%. I know they didn't say that publicly, but do you want to be paying all this money to a bloke? I mean, you just talked about John Wall before. Do you really want to be paying a shitload of your salary cap to a bloke that misses half the season? I wouldn't. The fact that they're getting the seven pick as compensation is absolutely amazing. Yeah. When you consider what GWS are potentially going to get for Jeremy Cameron, who's yep. a far better player, yeah, yeah. they're not even going to get close to number seven. Well, unless they get a couple of draft picks. And anyway. we might need to look at the system because there are some things that are broken about it. Yeah. But the other thing as well, they're closing in on Josh Dunkley, Jai Caldwell, two-meter Peter Wright. So... There's some guys that they could potentially have coming through here. They'll, they'll yeah, lose. so it was, it was sorry to cut in there, but oh, it was looking like they'd have a mass exodus. So they had Saad leaving to Carlton. Apparently Fantasia, I know we like saying Fantasia, but apparently that's how you meant to say it. He's looking to go home back to Adelaide. Now that's not set in stone yet, but it's good that they finally had a guy like Josh Dunkley, who's a very good player and still very young too. Yeah. So after a mass exodus and it wasn't looking good for them, that's that's a good coup if they can get yeah, him. started a max Inodus? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, it's, it's not going to be amazing for Essendon next year, but you'd like to think that maybe it's not heading quite as, as far on a downward trajectory as, as it probably looks. Well, it looked a lot worse before the Dunkley stuff. Yeah. So if they can get Dunkley, it's, it's a bit more it's a palatable. Start. It's yeah. a start. And, you know, with guys like Dylan Shield, you know, they'll still have a pretty good midfield. Yeah. So next week, we'll get on to the third instalment, which will be Fremantle, Carlton, and the GWS Giants. Another three very interesting situations. All heading in very different directions. Absolutely. Yep. But here, two trending down and one trending up in a big way. Yeah, I would think so. Or maybe maybe Essendon and Stan Pat. Yeah, I think Gold Coast up, Hawthorne down, Essendon down-ish. Yeah, that's, that sounds fair. I'll, I'll give them a... Oh, they still won six games and had a draw. So what's that? 18 premiership points. I'll, I'll give them a C-. Okay, a That's bit, probably generous. A little bit more generous than me, yeah. And did I grade Hawthorne? I don't think you did. I'll, no. I'll give Hawthorne a D. Okay. Yeah. Updates in the rugby world, starting with Bledisloe Game 4. 
Yeah, the Kiwis were nice enough to give the Wallabies a win in the last Burslow <laughs> match in Brisbane, which was worth absolutely nothing. No, dead rubber. New Zealand's starting 11 changed dramatically. Tom Wright scored a try with his first international touch, which was great to see, although mm. it took an absolutely shocking bounce for it to work out for him. Rico Iwane took advantage of some poor defence to level it a few minutes later for the Kiwis. Ofa Tuunga Farsi got sent off for high contact, something I don't think is penalised nearly enough in rugby. And then Lockie Swinton copped the same fate for, for us not that long after. But yeah, Marika Korobide got a yellow for a ruck infringement. Scott Barrett got a yellow for playing at the ball on the ground. So this was one of those games that was really tightly officiated, probably a lot more than usual. And, and it, it sort of made for a, a slightly more wide-open game. I mean, the score wasn't particularly high, but having less players on there just kind of opened things up a little bit. Taniella Tupo scored to make it 24-15 and things were looking really, really good for the Wallabies. But then a late try to Tupo Vai made it interesting. Two massive tackles or shoulder bumps from Korobiti forced a knock on and that was it. Probably one of the big positives for the Wallabies about the game being so tightly officiated though was we actually made five penalty goals as part of 24 combined penalties for the match. So that was ideally what got us across Points the Points on the board, yeah. Points on the board. Yep. Well done to the Aussies though for showing some heart finally. Yeah, well it's nice to get a win. Yeah. Now, as I mentioned, I know nothing of State of Origin because I was listening to election results. Yeah, I managed to watch a, a decent amount of the highlights on replay of this. There's a lot of controversy in the first Origin on Wednesday night, actually. The Maroons beat the Blues 18-14 in an absolute nail-biter. This was a, a really cracking game, but yeah, unfortunately there were a couple of things right towards the end that, that really kind of overshadowed what the game was. So Felice Kafusi was sin-bin for a professional foul with about a minute left in the game, and the Blues kind of had all the momentum as they were running towards the final siren. They played the ball with about 13 seconds left on the clock, and James Tedesco was brought down with maybe seven seconds left. The Queenslanders just piled on him, stayed on for way too long, probably a good second or two too long in my opinion, without allowing him to play the ball. They probably figured that the risk-reward was too good for them. If they don't get the penalty called, then it probably runs out uh, the yeah. clock. Yep. If they do, well... It's probably another player sent off, but you know, you kind of got to take that risk. The other controversy, though, was that it appeared the referee blew time a little bit too quickly, maybe a couple of seconds before the 80 minute mark. And we've been told that there was a microphone feeding through to him that was sort of telling him what the exact time was, and the time on the TV was a couple of seconds slow. So, oh, okay, so yeah, it's, it's a really interesting sort of talking point. The thing that sucked for New South Wales about that, though, was they actually showed a wide shot from that point. And they had three to one. Guys out on the wing. Out on the right on the yeah. wing, yeah. So all it would have taken would have been a high kick out to that corner and you've got three on one. It's a fair chance they probably score mm. kick after the siren to try and win the game. So, yeah, this was, a, as I say, a cracking game and I, I hope the next instant... And a big upset. Yeah, a little bit of an upset. I yeah. think people were probably expecting New South Wales to win that one. So, yeah, as I say, I hope the, the second one is, is as good as that. That's on Wednesday night at ANZ Stadium. Now, NFL, we've got a bit to talk about here as well. So we've got results and we've got COVID. I'll race through the results and the stats. Well, we've got an injury too. I'll start with that actually. Kyle Allen had a pretty sickening injury for the Washington football team, which puts Alex Smith back behind center next week. Yeah, I don't know if it's broken or if it's just really, really yeah, badly right. It, it didn't nasty. look good. No. Yeah, it didn't look good. So the Minnesota Vikings, Dalvin Cook is currently in a very good purple patch, I've got to say. Purple, that's the colour of their jersey. Yes, it is. Thank you. Thanks there. for picking up on that. So in their 34-20 win over Detroit overnight, he had 206 rushing yards and two touchdowns. This is after 163 rushing yards last week at Green Bay. 
because we've had a couple of rounds since the last time we recorded, making him just the third player in NFL history with more than 225 scrimmage yards and at least two touchdowns in consecutive games, because he also had some receiving yards last week. Joining Deuce McAllister in 2003 and Hall of Famer and one of the greatest running backs of all time, Jim Brown, in 1963. So that's some pretty good company. In other good stats news, Kyler Murray had 283 yards passing and three touchdowns, as well as 106 yards rushing and one TD run. Wow. For the Arizona Cardinals. So busy. he had a very good game. Busy, yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, the Bills had a good win over the Seahawks, 44-34. The Steelers are the only undefeated team at 8-0. They beat Dallas, Dallas America's team. Dallas haven't been good for like 20 years, but hey, America's team. And the Saints beat the Bucks 38-3. Yeah, he had a shocker, Mr. Tom Brady, Mr. Brady, yeah, he had three interceptions. That was the largest halftime deficit Tom Brady's ever faced in his career. Well, there you go. 31-0. There you go. And my Colts started so well, and I started watching the game overnight, and then I went to bed and it turned to shit. So we're up 10-7 at half time, and we lost 24-10. Good one, Nathan. Yeah, I know. Your fault. Now, in COVID news, the NFL is plowing ahead. If you've got COVID, they don't care, basically. Very few games are being postponed now, as I mentioned. They are just playing the games. And I dare say this is something that the NBA may face. They're taking the Sweden approach, really. Yeah, they are. They are. In some big news, the Las Vegas Raiders have been issued some big fines for COVID breaches of late, and what the league has called repeated offences. They were fined $500,000, Gruden $150,000, he's the coach, and they were stripped of a sixth round pick. That's big-ish. You know, okay, it's not a first or second rounder, but in the NFL, there's a lot of a lot of rounds in the draft. Yeah, as an NBA fan, I guess the sixth round to me is is something that the league hasn't had in that long. That doesn't really seem like such a big deal, but it probably would be. Yeah. Yeah, you can still get a player in the sixth round. Trent Brown tested positive and wasn't wearing a tracing device, which is mandated by the league to work out contact oh, tracing. That's big. And him and four other offensive linemen had to quarantine because 10 players were at a charity event without wearing masks and were mingling with civilians. So that takes the Las Vegas Corona fines up to $1.185 million and now a sixth round draft pick. And they're sitting kind of middle of the pack. So it's not even like they're, they're winning lots of games for it. Then finally, in American football news, kind of NFL, it's actually college, but it involves Trevor Lawrence, who is the consensus number one overall pick. Now, he's actually come out and said that he may play another season. The speculation is that the only reason is that is because he doesn't want to go to the New York Jets because they are like the Los Angeles Clippers of the football. Okay, the Clippers are okay now, but what we remember of the Los Angeles Clippers in the 90s. So that's a really interesting one. But then he got COVID, so he has even more reason now to, to say, I'm coming back for another season because he missed games. And as a result of missing a game, there was a big upset when Notre Dame beat his Clemson team over, Notre, Notre Dame. over the weekend. But that wasn't the biggest news, was it? Well, that's not the biggest talking point. Well, no, it's after the game, 10,000 fans basically storming the field, which when you consider that the whole reason that you've won the game, or one of the huge reasons, is the fact that... So one, ironic. One of the... Yeah, the other quarterback has COVID. You're absolutely right. If Trevor Lawrence plays that game, they probably don't win and they probably don't storm the field. You're absolutely right. And again, very few masks. So... Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, I just don't understand. Again, though, a lot of people out in the streets after the election. So America just has a different view. Yeah. But the NBA season is going to be really interesting because the way they're going to do things is very different to the way they did things in the bubble. Maybe they'll need to bring in the bubble for playoffs again 
But the regular season is going to be weird. It will be. Based on what's happening in the NFL. You've got some soccer news, mate. Yeah, the EPL's starting to heat up a little bit. Some teams making their moves. Leicester, Tottenham and Southampton have all won their last three games. Aston Villa just three points behind with a game in hand. Amazingly, though, Man United, Man City and Arsenal all still sitting middle of the pack at this stage. None of the three have had a particularly easy draw so far, so you can kind of blame it a little bit on that. Unfortunately, we've got to talk about Leeds. Crystal Palace, 4-1. They've dropped back massively to the pack with 15th spot now. But the biggest story of the week belongs to them. We've had some shockers in the VAR circle, but this one's right up there. Oh, yeah. Trailing 1-0, Patrick Bamford slipped behind the defence and slotted home the equaliser. Even though his body and legs were behind the last defender, his arms were not. And a new rule that states that a player can score with their upper arm meant that he was a judged offside. Ah, that's interesting, because I was going to say, why the hell would you make it offside when it's a part of your body you can't even use? But if you can score with your upper arm, okay, that makes... It's a fucking joke, though. Why are they... It's your your body. Yeah. That's it. It's your body... So what is upper... Like, shoulder? So, yeah. So, like, you you can technically score with, I guess... Your biceps? I guess your body. Yeah, well, that's it, yeah. Okay. That's me flexing them. Okay, well, in that case, maybe it is offside. Well, it is by the letter, letter of the law, law but yeah. it is a fucking stupid law. Yeah, well, I don't, I, I don't love the rule. I don't love the rule. Because essentially he was just pointing, telling the guy, this is where I want the yeah. ball to play. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a forward, you know, leading. But he was probably half a foot behind the last defender. So there's no mm. way, yeah, I, I, I just can't get by yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And then finishing it off, we saw one of the absolute worst dives of all time last week with former Bournemouth player Stefan Zubar going down like a sack of shit after a ball skimmed down his arm from being kicked back into play by a spectator. I've seen some absolute Barry Crockers over the years, but this one was right up there. Well, I'd the s- good news is that the London Olympic team have asked him to join their diving team. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. They, they should do well mm. against Italy. Mm. Um, <laughs> it was unsurprisingly booed and jeered from the stands for that. So, yeah, not a great look in the world of soccer that already kind of gets ridiculed a little bit yeah, from the outside. That's one of the things that puts me off. And can I just quickly round this off by saying, as a Glasgow Rangers supporter, 8-0 last night against, wow. against Hamilton, sitting top of the table by a decent margin. Excellent at the performance. At the moment. At the moment. We'll probably choke it away in the second half of the season. But anyway. Mm. Gee, Stewie, we managed to talk a lot, don't we? What are you out for? I mean, it's got to be the IPL final between Mumbai and Delhi. I, I love a good upset, but it's also nice seeing the top two teams play out a final. So, Yes, indeed. Hard to go past Mumbai in that, considering how easily they handled Delhi in the first match. So, how about yourself? Well, for me, mate, I'm actually really looking forward to the documentary Walkabout Wickets on ABC tomorrow night about the Aboriginal cricket team that journeyed to the UK in 1868 to play a series against the Poms over there. And they've actually done a thing where they retrace the steps. So in NADOC week here, I think that will be quite an interesting documentary. Beautiful. That's, that's great. I might yeah. have to check that out myself. Until next week, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex. Sportplex.